Well, hello again. I'm Tony Payne. Welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth, where we bring the truth about Christ to bear on everything in our lives and ministries. I was at the Reach Australia conference last week, had a really wonderful time, very encouraging, meeting with brothers and sisters, talking about ministry, hearing the Bible. And I was in the coffee line after one of the sessions, and someone sidled up to me, a friend sidled up and said, I think you're a bit of a purist. Now, I wish I'd had a kind of quick and witty comeback, like, what would you prefer, an impurist? But instead, I just kind of lamely chuckled. It was after a seminar that I'd helped to host on the topic of Christian community and membership and belonging, much the same kind of content as last week's post here on The Painful Truth. And I was making much the same kind of point that the presence of Jesus Christ in our midst by his word, that's what true Christian community really consists of and how we build it and maintain it. Now, the seminar that I led was with Tim Clemens from Grace City Church, and he complimented the kind of theological stuff I was doing with some really interesting and very helpful wisdom on what those theological ideas mean for how we actually welcome people and integrate them into our church communities and disciple them to be part of a really rich, Christ-centred community. Now, when my friend explained his you're a bit of a purist comment, it was really to take further some of the questions that have been raised in the seminar and, for that matter, which have been raised in your emails and comments since last week's post. Granted that Jesus is the centre of our community, fair enough, and that the head of the body that we're members of is Jesus Christ himself, and granted also that this makes the word of Christ, the word dwelling richly amongst us, the vital factor in Christian community. Let's take all that as read. But how then do we think about our actions in building Christian community? What about just going out to dinner with people or playing board games or painting the front room with someone? Don't these sort of actions or activities do anything for our sense of community? Would it be okay with the purist if we just hung out for a while? Well, I guess the first thing that the purist would say is that human friendship and togetherness and relationship and cooperation, these are just good things in themselves. They don't need any further justification or purpose. There's no need to question our consciences about whether hanging out with people is really okay if we don't speak Bible verses at the same time. And this is especially so in our current society where, sadly, many people are starved of the joys of human friendship and togetherness, particularly in the kind of dislocated, isolating kind of lives that we live in modern cities. And to provide those simple pleasures, to host a dinner party, to have some people over for a games night, this is often a real act of kindness to our neighbours and our friends. On the same level as helping the elderly person next door with their lawns is just a really nice thing to do. And in itself, even though this kind of activity doesn't create Christian community as such or build the body of Christ as we've defined those things, these are still acts of kindness and goodness and love that we should celebrate. But I think we want to say more than that too. Hanging out together or getting together in smaller informal settings creates a context in which Christian community can flourish. And Tim Clemens 
fleshed this out really helpfully during our seminar, he pointed to some research that showed how people relate differently and gain different things and do different things in groupings of different size. Now, in some ways, this is a kind of statement of the obvious, but it's helpful to put it out there in a clear way. He talked of four different size contexts that the sociological research often identifies. There's the public context, which is, say, 100 people or more, where we gather to engage together with something outside ourselves, to watch a sports game together or go to a concert together or, for that matter, to a church meeting together. That's the public context. Then there's what is called the social context, say between 20 and 70 people, that kind of size, where we interact with people a little bit more, we say more, we chat more, we interact with an affinity group of some kind, but we share snapshots of ourselves and of information. We don't tend to share deeply at those kind of occasions, and I'm thinking of things like parties or, for that matter, morning tea at church. Then there are personal contexts, situations where we might get together with, say, four or five or up to 12 people, where we reveal more of ourselves and likewise we find out more about others. We get to know others at a deeper level. We're thinking about things like dinner parties or for that matter, small Bible study groups. And then there are transparent contexts, say of two to four people, where we can be genuinely open and even vulnerable with other people, share our innermost thoughts and experiences, a marriage is like this, or a close friend getting together for a coffee. And so in these four different kinds of social context, public, social, personal, transparent, we relate to one another differently. We reveal different things, we get to know different things, we share different things. And they all have their purpose and their value. And we can build the community of Jesus Christ in different ways in each of these different contexts or social spaces because we can share his word in different ways and at different levels in each context. We can think of the sermon that we can all sit together and listen to and be challenged by. And then the time afterwards in the kind of social 20 to 70 kind of sharing snapshots together where we can talk about the sermon and tease out its meaning and work out together what it means for us. And then we dig down further to the more personal conversations, perhaps in a small Bible study group where we pray for and discuss our weaknesses. And then there's the smaller, transparent kind of context where I'm just talking with my wife or talking with one or two really good friends about something that's going on in my life and that the Word of God relates to. So what are we saying? It's not that hanging out with 10 people in some kind of social context or personal context automatically creates Christian community. And we shouldn't confuse the joy of just being with other people with the unique thing that is the body of Christ and the community of Christ. But having said that, unless we hang out with 10 people and create the trusting social or personal space in which you can talk with other people, then how can we have the opportunity to fellowship around the word of Jesus Christ at that more personal level? How can we have all the different kinds of conversations we need to have if we're to understand and believe the word and encourage each other to live it out?
as I said in last week's post, we can really facilitate community in Christ or membership in Christ by creating as many different kinds of contexts and spaces and opportunities where we can be together as those who share in Jesus Christ and share his word with each other in a multitude of different ways. Now this leads to a second really good question that was asked at the seminar at REACH Australia about our actions for building community. And the question was this, what are the benefits of people actually serving each other for building Christian community? Surely loving service and action for the sake of other people is a genuine expression of our community and of our membership of each other. And surely it also increases our personal experience of it. Well, it's hard to argue with that. In fact, on this basis, many churches work hard at getting as many people as possible involved in serving each other. The more people start to exercise the muscles of practical service and take an active part in the life of the group, the more they tend to experience a genuine sense of being part of that community, and that makes sense. And it makes sense for people who are new or relatively new to that community as well as they seek to become part of it. However, there is an important caveat. If my practical help, the practical service I'm offering, is not framed and motivated and directed towards the word of Jesus Christ, if it's just me doing a job that needs to be done and which makes me feel good because I'm useful, then it won't express or build genuine Christian community. In fact, it might even lead to false or fleshly community, to use Dietrich Bonhoeffer's term, which is based on my longing to be needed and recognised. Bonhoeffer explains all this really well in Life Together. He's very sharp about the dangers and poisonous possibilities of those who long for community, who long to be needed and loved, but don't long for Jesus Christ. Those who act from the need for self-justification rather than from the freedom of being justified by faith. However, he also says that while the mutual ministry of the word is the highest form of Christian service and the one to which all others lead and are directed, it's not the only form of Christian service. It's not the only form of mutual love in a Christian community. In fact, he identifies three other forms of service, listening to each other, forbearing with each other and forgiving each other, and what he calls active helpfulness. And this last form is what we're usually speaking of when we talk about service or practical service. And we mustn't despise this form of service, Bonhoeffer says, as if it's beneath us or in some way less worthy. And this is what he says. Nobody is too good for the lowest service. Those who worry about the loss of time entailed by such small external acts of helpfulness are usually taking their own work too seriously. We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God, who will thwart our plans and frustrate our ways time and again, even daily, by sending people across our path with their demands and requests. We can then pass them by preoccupied with our more important daily tasks, just as the priest, perhaps reading the Bible, passed by the man who had fallen among robbers. 
The one, in other words, says Bonhoeffer, who is focused on the ministry of the word shouldn't despise the opportunity to help others practically. Nor should the one who feels comfortable in practical service rest content in doing something that's useful and practical in this way and leave the sharing of the word to others. All Christian helpfulness or practical service is motivated by the word of Christ and it's directed by that word and has the speaking of that word in prospect. As the morning tea team serves coffee and washes dishes, the people there are not only motivated by the gospel, God willing, but are helping to create one of those social contexts in which the whole congregation can speak with each other. It's a word-motivated and word-directed form of practical service, even though it's very hands-on and kind of menial in its nature. And this leads to a final point. How can we ensure that this kind of practical service is indeed motivated and directed towards the word of Jesus Christ, that it's a kind of word-centred and word-directed practical service? Well, the answer is by teaching and training. This was my mantra in answer to many of the questions that were raised during the seminar. If we want our people to understand what Christian community and membership really is and to live it and practice it, we need to teach them about it and train them in it, just as the apostles themselves did on so many occasions in their letters in the New Testament, in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 and Ephesians 4 and 5, where they address their audience on precisely these questions. Now, this is a statement of the bleeding obvious, if ever there was one, that we need to teach our people about these things. But I'm often struck by how meagerly and haphazardly we do so in our churches, in this area and in many others. We do the essential work of expanding the scriptures week by week, and that's vital. And we also study often those same passages in our small groups. But the integrative work, the work of applied theology of drawing that teaching together on a particular subject and applying what it means for our lives, such as in this area, in the area of what it means to be a member and why we serve each other and what we're doing when we serve each other. This is something we seem to do much less often and hence much less effectively, it seems to me. How could we do that work better? Well, I have thoughts, you might say. But given that this episode is already quite long enough already, I might return to those thoughts next time. Well, as always, if you have further ideas or questions about this whole area of Christian community and membership and what it means for us to be members together of one body, please get in touch and let me know what you think. I've really enjoyed the interaction with a number of you so far on this question, and I hope today's extra thoughts have answered some of your questions. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop me an email at tonyjpain at me.com or zip over to the painfultruth.online and you can leave a comment there as well. And while you're there, you can also browse back through all the other episodes and posts that I've been putting out over the last couple of years. I think we're up to more than 100 of them now, so you might like to browse back and see what you've missed. Well, thanks once again for listening this week. It's always a joy to talk with you. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.